Hi, Eric. Hi, Aaron. How are you? Do you know that we believe in the book of Revelation? Sure. You bet. Okay, but think about it. All okay. Right? <laughs> in, internalize that comment. I'll be honest, like, I don't think about it a lot. Okay, but I want you to. Okay. Because I thought it'd be fun. The apocalypse of John. <laughs> yeah. Because it's an interesting statement. Just what I just said, that we believe in the book of Revelation. Yeah. Okay? We believe the book of Revelation to be the word of God. Yeah. As far as it is translated correctly. We also believe it is a sequel. To what? To um, Nephi's vision, First Nephi. Mm, yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. But why, why do we believe that? Why... Because it's part of the canonized Bible, and everything in the Bible is part of the Bible in as much as it's translated correctly. That's not correct. Oh, no. That is not the correct reason. Are, are you looking for, like, is DNC, is it DNC 77? Is that the answer? That's correct. Okay. Yeah. And that's one of the ways I wanted to start this episode, is to talk about DNC 77. Can I tell you an anecdote about DNC 77? Yeah, you can. Um, I. But I feel like okay. we should state some terms up front. Oh, before, okay. you, before you do. This is a very personal story. It has nothing to do with Joseph Smith. Oh, okay, great. Do so, it. yeah. So, um, my, I think, I believe it was the seminary teachers arranged a special fireside and some expert guy came in and was in the Relief Study room and all the seminary students were there, which means all the youth, right? Yeah. And um, I forget what question he asked, but I happened to know the answer was DNC 77. It was probably like, what sections in a Q&A format or something like that. Yeah. And I happened to know that because I had just happened to be thumbing through the DNC board and seminary a couple days before. Uh-huh. And I said, oh, it's DNC 77. He was so mad. It's like, were you looking at my notes? He accused me of looking at his notes. And um, instead of being upset, I uh, took a lot of pride in that. Oh, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> well, you're not looking at my notes this time. I actually have no idea. I, I Everything so far has been a surprise because I think you did mention this was going to be on on Revelation. Revelation, but I had completely forgotten. Yeah. And I'm not sure I've ever come in as blind to an episode as I am today. Well, that's good, because I've prepared a, a route for us, and I think it's going to be really fun. That's good. Um, normally, um, okay, so I should say this is a bit of an attitude adjustment for myself. Okay. Okay? <laughs> because I um, uh, was kind of getting, I've I, over the last, I don't know, 40 years of my life, yeah. <laughs> I've kind of, of it. have kind of grown tired of the... Um, of the book of Revelation, but specifically all the speculation that comes around with it. Yeah, it's I used a... to be a big, you know, I just realized, I used to be kind of a big millennialist. Uh-huh. The millennium and creation were the two bits of scripture I thought were most interesting. And yeah. in a previous era, might have turned into my gospel hobbies. But instead, because I am, um, you know, came of age in the 21st century, I uh, just am not interested yeah. And, and a little dismissive. And I think there are other more important things. <laughs> <laughs> well, there are more important things, sure. right? But um, that's not what our show is necessarily about. <laughs> no, our show is not about the important things. Our I mean, show is about the strange things, so, sometimes, the delightful things. Sometimes it is. But uh, in this case, uh, we get to talk about some of the fun stuff. And um, so that's, and it kind of, so of course I'm teaching this in seminary. Yeah. Or we just finished just seminary. Finished. Um, happy holidays, everybody. Yeah. This morning next. It's, it was weird that this was kind of the last bit that we taught before the new year, right? Mm-hmm. Before Christmas. So it's my... perfect. It's the end of all things. <laughs> it's the end of all things instead of the beginning of all things? Yeah. That's um, how you spin it, I guess. Uh, the, we, uh, we um, my uh, seminary partner and I, we um, compressed it, though. So we did fewer lessons on it. And we squeezed in some Christmas mm. stuff instead. Um 
just just a bit just a, just as a treat mm-hmm. <laughs> um do you, so we believe in the book of revelations why is that an interesting statement well because not everybody does that's true um, yeah it's not part of every scriptural canon here's an interesting um trivia question and i don't know the answer okay and i'm not convinced that it's an easy answer okay okay but let's but we're going to take a stab at it anyway what churches believe in the book of revelation um i believe the roman church does okay uh i want to say luther wanted to throw it out but didn't in the end well it's interesting that you mentioned luther because and listen full disclosure yeah on this episode i'm using a lot of wikipedia <laughs> yeah we're, we're big Wikipedia boosters, no matter what Ben Lerner's has to say about it. Tell me about Ben Lerner's. Ben Lerner's The Antichrist is described in Revelation. Uh, Actually, I kind of like Ben Lerner. He wrote a book called um, I Hate Poetry or Why Hate or something like that. Anyway, it was a good book and I liked it. But he recently came out with an article in um, Harper's just last month, I think. And it was a fictionalized account of how he intentionally... um, used a series of sock puppets and underhanded means to pervert information on Wikipedia and then send those lies out into the wild as people rely on Wikipedia because it is generally a very reliable source. Oh. And so, um, and I just heard an interview with him Saturday on one of the Saturday NPR shows and, and the article was like something from 20 years ago about how we shouldn't trust Wikipedia instead of a grilling of him and how he uh, perverted one of the finest things that humanity has created. Um, like they didn't question whether what he did was right or not. They just treated him as like this clever gotcha journalist. And I, I think it was um, an appalling interview. <laughs> and I think what he did was appalling. And... Um, and I, I think that the ethics of it are going unquestioned by the journalistic establishment. Wow, I've never heard of this controversy at all. Uh, yeah, it's, <laughs> uh, I guess we'll link to it in the show notes. <laughs> have you... I, I have not read the article because I just couldn't bring myself to read a fictionalized account of someone. Like, I, I read the first few paragraphs. I was like, get off yourself. And I was done. I didn't read the whole thing. But I, I did. Um, it was playing on NPR on Saturday while I was still lying in bed. And I did listen to the interview. <laughs> well, Okay. This is fabulous because um, one we decided when we planned the show that you <laughs> when would... we planned the show I think you suggested a topic and I said okay and then you planned the show I think <laughs> is what happened and then I managed to forget what it was about so <laughs> but I was looking forward to you bringing you know um, stuff to it. and this is exactly <laughs> you never what I, know what I'll bring <laughs> this is exactly what I was talking about uh, yeah the, uh, Martin Luther called Revelation neither apostolic nor prophet- prophetic. In his trans in his fifteen twenty two translation. In other words, Martin Luther felt about Revelation the way Joseph Smith felt about Song of Solomon. Ah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah, that's right. Um, and it well, was maybe less sexy. It was the only. No, maybe not. It depends. Actually, I guess it depends on how you read Revelation. But uh, anyway, go ahead. <laughs> it was the only New Testament book on which John Calvin did not write a commentary. It is the only New Testament book not read in the divine liturgy, liturgy, liturgy of the Eastern Orthodox Church. Okay, Although, that was the next thing I was going to guess. Is I thought the Eastern Orthodox Church did not accept it, and I don't know why I know that. Well, it's interesting. I don't know if you including it in a lit, in litur, what is a litur, lit, liturgy, liturgy? Liturgy, yeah. What is that? But liturgy? it's liturgical when you change it to an adjective because English is fun that way. Oh, that is fun. Yeah. Um, Catholic and Protestant liturgies um, include it. Um, what's a liturgy? 
Uh, I don't actually know what the dictionary definition of liturgy is. Well, here I'm saying it's a um, Eucharistic service. Okay, so it's just part of the service. So, in other words, the closest equivalent we have, I guess, in our faith is come follow me. Oh, I was going to say our say. sacrament meeting. Well, sure, it's but it would be like if come follow me also determined what we do in sacrament meeting. Hmm. But it's that's kind of the closest LDS equivalent. So it would be like if we just skipped Revelation. Like we skip 90% of the Old Testament, even though technically <laughs> technically we accepted a scripture. <laughs> but um, you can't do the Old Testament in one year. In one year. Especially now that we're down to um, two lessons a month. We, we get... Have I have I complained about two hour church recently? We get, I'd love to complain about it again. We get twenty six Sunday school lessons a year. Yeah, um, pathetic. About four, about forty five <laughs> minutes each. Yeah, there's uh, something like that. I mean, yeah. they're a little bit longer than they used to be because sacramenti is now shorter with yeah. two hour church. But, yeah, yeah. So sometimes you're lucky and get a four, 45 minutes. So you complain about two hour church? I hate it. Okay. Yeah, I think it's the worst. You want to go back to three? I don't think you can go back to three. Yeah, I think it's too late. That bridge was set on fire and the ashes and scattered to the four corners of the earth. Um, but I think there's so many losses. You think so, huh? I think, I think, I, yeah, I do. And not just the fact that we don't have as much um, religious instruction. Yeah. With the idea, foolish in my opinion, that all the families of the church are just going to get that much extra at home. Like, nonsense. Yeah. I just don't believe that. And there might be a handful, a small percentage, who get an extra hour of... Um, home instruction than they used to, but I think that number's probably remained stable, and for some people, it's still at zero, and yeah. so that's a huge loss. But I think the other huge loss is uh, we've lost another in-between moment where people hang out in the halls and talk to each other. I really think, especially post-pandemic, um, that that is a huge loss. I, I really think wards, and th- this is based a little bit on our experience in the Berkeley Ward, but also yeah. just a lot of the scuttlebutt I hear from other people. I yeah. think people just don't know each other in their wards like they used to. I, I think that I think that it is um, eroded relationships at the ward level. Interesting perspective. Um, I, I like two-hour church, but I was <laughs> a lot I of was, people do. I and, wasn't thinking very deeply about yeah, it. Yeah, and and I think that the idea of less churches is, is intrinsically a crowd pleaser. But I just don't. I don't think it was a good idea. And I don't like it. You don't like it. And I'm I'm sorry, President Nelson. That's my opinion. <laughs> um, I I thought three-hour church was a was was a lot looking back. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but that's mainly... Well, but that's how I feel about the pre-block, right? That sounds crazy what they did pre-block. Yeah. But, I mean, it was normal. Um, There are fewer manuscripts on of Revelation than any part of the New Testament. Oh, so does that mean that we feel more comfortable that we have something close to what the original author wrote than we do with some of the others? That's a good question. There are 310 manuscripts of Reve- Revelation, hmm. ten, 7 papyri, 12 magic skulls magic skulls no mag- that sounds cool majuscule m-a-j-u-s-c-u-l-e-s uh, i don't know what that is but it sounds way less interesting than hearing that john carved it onto the skulls <laughs> onto the of skull his followers of his, or something his followers. and it's like, then wow we just got super pagan here <laughs> 291 minuscules oh so they're like big skulls and, and the middle skulls, skulls. <laughs> like on rats yeah <laughs> what was the isle of patmos uh, it's an island. Well, sure. Called Patmos. Was he exiled there? Is yes. That the idea. That's the idea. So John of Patmos <clears throat> yeah. is the purported author. Yes. Okay. Why is it purported? Do you remember? <laughs> it was two thousand years ago. Okay. Everything's purported. <laughs> okay. But it was seventy. It was like seventy or sixty or eighty A.D. or something. Yeah, like it's kind of late. 
kind of yeah. late, so, but it's a good thing John is immortal because that solves that problem. John is immortal, yeah. right? I mean, we're just dropping bomb after bomb. Yeah. If you're a, not a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Christian Saints, vampire. then um, some of this stuff is going to be surprising. Um, Quite possibly, yeah. But actually... Um, but actually, I don't think that's I think that it's exclusively That's not an exclusive idea. Yeah, there's no. a, that's actually baked into the New Testament somewhere. Yeah, but I think it probably is a little fringe for a lot of mainstream Christians. That um, John the Belo- John the uh, John the Beloved, yeah, who um, we assert in our church is the same as John the of Patmos. Yes, which I think that's not. I think that's pretty generally Christian. It is, too. but it's not not scholarly. It's not necessarily scholarly, yeah. and I'm enjoying finding the difference. Yeah, which mean which refers to like. Um, the authorship of the book of revelation right yeah which is debated right well yeah but also it's scholars generally don't think john the beloved wrote the gospel of john either if i'm not mistaken oh that's i've heard i remember writing something i, I don't this. think that's yeah yeah um, and the epistles of john are i don't think you know scholarly scholarly speaking i don't think that uh anything was written by john uh, would be the consensus. <laughs> and yet... And yet... DNC 77, <laughs> all right? Yeah. This is the part that I got... This is what made me excited about the Book of Revelation again. Okay? Yeah, it's... I, I totally agree. Okay. <laughs> it would be my way back in if I were wanted to study the Book of Revelation. <laughs> okay, yes. and I'll tell you why. And, and, and listen, um, if you are a church scholar rolling your eyes <laughs> at my... <laughs> <laughs> we make no claims to authority yeah. or expertise. We're having fun. Yeah. Um, Doctor hour here. So I found a website about DNC seventy seven called um, it's called Doctrine and Co- Covenant Central. Have you seen this before? Um, I am. I know Book of Mormon Central. I assume that they are of one brand. What do you? What tell me about the Central brand? Because there's there's a whole commu- community um, of them. Yeah, they just it's it's just a bunch of helps. Just a bunch of helps, and that's kind of what I found as I was reading this. What I found was that there's an article here uh, about uh, the historical content, context, and background of DNC 77. Mm-hmm. And there, it's a brief synopsis by Stephen C. Harper. And I looked up Stephen C. Harper because, um, again... BYU professor of ancient scripture, question mark? Yeah, you got it. Okay. Uh, um, a professor, not ancient scripture, of church history and doctrine okay. at, B, at BYU. Yeah. Um, and a former uh, historian for the church... And oh, really? now editor in church, editor in chief of BYU Studies Quarterly. Oh, okay. Okay. We, we uh, admire them as evidenced by the fact that our entire last season was based on an episode, or not an episode, <laughs> an issue of theirs. But we are going to use one of the um, one of the logo. What is it? Ethos, pathos, logos. Um, this is logic. This is, and then one of the ways that you can do logic is an appeal to authority. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, sure. And the reason I wanted to do a little bit of cul-de-sac here on authority uh-huh. like this is, um, just, um, as a, as a, as a reminder that one of the things that we like to, like to talk about is, um, citing your sources. Yeah. So every week we provide a long list of sources in the show notes. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to just find a random website on the internet and quote from it from the show. Unlike Wikipedia, <laughs> plus or minus what the disturbing story that you stole before, yeah. without establishing some credentials for the person I was quoting from. Yeah. Having been treated, this is quoting from the synopsis, to 76, to DNC 76. So this is 
DNC seventy six is the vision, right? It's the yeah, yeah. It's the famous one about uh, the the three kingdoms, yeah, the celestial kingdom and everything. In February 1832, for his efforts to understand and revise the Bible, Joseph continued his painstaking study of the scriptures. His history says that about the 1st of March, in connection with the translation of the scriptures, I received the following explanation of the revelations of St. John. Yeah. Okay? Um, and so, it's a, if you know the format, it's a question and answer. Yeah. It's like, the, is it the only one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's really, really different, right? It is. It is. And it's Joseph Smith, frankly. <laughs> yeah. Joseph, he, okay, what he said was, um, okay, he rarely spoke, so Joseph rarely spoke of or taught of from John's revelation. Mm-hmm. One exception is this one sermon in 1843 where they were correcting some um, speculations. And um, I'm summarizing here a bit. Joseph was fr- and then quoting Joseph was frustrated that John's revelation was quote a subject of great of great speculation mm-hmm. among Latter Day Saints and others speculations based on ignorance about John's intended meanings. Joseph decided to reveal some of John's meanings to combat the ignorance, right? Yeah. And so, continuing the quote, Joseph taught with the exception of chapter twelve, John's revelation is about the future and not the past. All right. Oh, they were speculating it was to do with the past? And it turns out they're not the only ones. And really? this is the thing that I really enjoyed learning, or one of them, when I was preparing I'm for from, se- from seminary. Yeah. Okay? Just you wait. Okay. This is really fun. Okay? Um, John saw... Okay, this is such a great quote. John saw curious-looking beasts in heaven. Yeah. He saw every creature that was in heaven. This is Joseph Smith speaking. Yeah, yeah. All the beasts, fowls, and fish in heaven. Actually, they're giving glory to God, I suppose. Joseph continued. Mm -hmm. John saw beings there that had been saved from 10,000 times 10,000 earths like this. The strange beasts of which we have no conception. All might be seen in heaven. Oh. John learned that God glorified himself by by saving all that his hands had made whether beasts, fowl, fishes, or man. Because of, and then going back to, um, uh, to uh, Stephen Harper. Because of 77, Joseph knew what the beasts represented. He had a key to John's revelation and was not a hostage to the rampant speculation. First of all, isn't it interesting that essentially John saw actual aliens? Unicorns. Yeah, unicorns and fantastical creatures. Yeah. But that existed from other Earths. It's fun. That's fun. Yeah. <laughs> and it kind of recontextualizes, because one of the sections on in Revelation is these four beasts, mm-hmm. right? And um, it's one of the things that Joseph specifically asks about, right? Are the, um, what are we, so this is, this is verse two of verse DNC, two. Revela- of DNC 77. What are we to understand by the four beasts spoken in the same verse, verse? Right. Yeah. In this case, it says they are figurative expressions used by the revelator. Right. Um, the happiness of man and of beasts and of creeping things and so forth. But isn't that cool? That is cool. Yeah. yeah. So why is it surprising that we believe in the that the revelation is the word of is, is the word of God? Because what it so much of what we, as you said, talk about in the Old Testament and the mm-hmm. New Testament. Right. We there's so much figurative stuff in there. Right? Stuff that we're not entirely sure or that is 
interest like hard to understand or you know you need to understand the context um but we believe in the book of revelation the same way as you said we believe in the in the vision god mm -hmm. showed to nephi yeah right where these this is this is what john saw and the why, why do we believe it like that is because when when joseph smith asked these specific questions to the yeah. lord the Lord's response wasn't that was written wrong. Oh, right. That, that, let's correct that. Let's correct what was actually written down yeah. and translated, right? So we, when we say we believe the word of the Bible to be the word of God, except um, in as much as it in as much as it is translated correctly. Co correctly, right? Yeah, yeah. This isn't a retranslation, right? It no, is it's a commentary. An explanatory right? note. What are we to understand by the angel ascending to the, from the east? What are the things spoken of? When are the things spoken of in this chapter, um, in that case, Revelation 7, to be accomplished? What are we to understand by seeing the 144,000? What are we to understand by the sounding of the trumpets? You know, what is the little book which was eaten by John? <laughs> you know, it's really specifics. It was actually a gummy taco that he had picked up at the dollar store. <laughs> okay, so the part that I thought it would be fun to drill down on is um, for today is uh, the seven seals. Okay. Okay. Because this is the part that when that you were startled by. So, what are the seven seals? Uh, they like open and then stuff happens. Go ahead. Go on. I'm just curious. I'm. This is a. Okay. I'm because you are essentially. Yeah. I think where I was before I started uh -huh. digging on this. Okay. Well, I haven't reread uh, Revelation as part of. Seminary. We just skipped it, and we did Christmas this month for Come Follow Me, or if you want to call it that. Which yeah. I don't really like calling it that, but yeah. And when you taught, <laughs> I'm taught, so grumpy. <laughs> and when you taught um, seminary, yeah. What did oh. you do with Revelation? Um, I don't remember i want to say it was taken from us that was the year that it shifted and we didn't get to do revelation ah and i know i didn't get to do the old testament at all uh -huh. but i want to say that's when they were, i have to sit down with a piece of paper and work it out but yeah. I, I think we didn't do revelation because i don't remember studying it at all all right then this is exciting what yeah are so here's the quiz okay and so essentially i'm interrogating your past sunday schools okay <laughs> What is what are the seven seals? Um, I can't tell you what they are exactly, but um, when each one opens, like something occurs, somebody shows up, some you know, and then bad things happen, I guess. Uh, and then the seventh seal is good. I think that's about the best I can do. What? I wasn't joking when I said that I sort of have not thought about Revelation in a very long time. Oh, and by the way, listener, if you think I'm going anywhere with this, like at the end, we're going to have some like nice little, like this is the moral. Negative wisdom. Or this is this is what we're leading up to. And it's like, you're going to walk away and think, oh, wow, I think I feel like I really like I feel like my perspective has. That's not my goal today. <laughs> I am literally just having fun with the book of Revelation, okay? So, um... No more plot than uh, DVD extras. Yeah, exactly. Um, come on, you can you can do this. What are the, what are the seals? 
Oh, you mean what are they? They yeah. oh they represent like the the eras of history or something. Go on. Um, be more specific. So there, I guess there's seven dispensations. Okay. Um, so I don't remember. Was the first dispensation Eden or post Eden? Anyway, the first one would be Adam, I guess. Uh huh. And then Noah. There's a number you're missing. Uh, there are a thousand years, I guess. That's right. I don't buy that. You don't buy it. No, I don't buy that. Uh, okay. <laughs> Why don't you buy it? It's just. Um, it's, okay. Wait. Wait. Yeah. The seals represent a thousand years of history. Okay. Sure. Okay. But they don't okay. simultaneously is what I would say. But, okay. And here's why. Here's why. It's just too. I, this I'm gonna convenient. gotcha here. Convenient. I'm gonna get. I'm gonna gotcha. All right. I'm gonna okay. gotcha. But go ahead. And so anyway, but let's see. I I don't know if this is comes from Revelation. I don't think so. But the idea that there's seven dispensations and those those would be um, Adam, uh-huh. Enoch, Noah, uh, Abraham. Moses. Moses. Um, it was that five? That was five. So that just leaves Jesus and Joseph Smith, which um, which skips through history real fast. Which skips like a bunch of time. Like a ton of time. Yeah. Right? <laughs> but that's not the organization that's presented here. No, I wouldn't DNC. expect it to be. I would... Instead. Oh, in DNC. Okay, go on. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, this is, I I don't know how scriptural this really is. It feels more like something like Leon Skousen than it does feel like. Okay. Like, but I would totally agree with you. Yeah. All right. So let's talk a little bit about about. Uh, let's clean up this this discussion okay. a little bit here. Okay. So um, the book of Revelation states that there's this scroll yeah. and it has seven seals on it. Uh-huh. Right. And who can open the seals? Well, I think it's the Savior that can open the okay. seals, and everybody's very happy that he can. Because it, it ushers in all kinds of, of of history that's important. Yeah. And each Gotta seal is opened. And as each seal is opened, the first four seals, mm-hmm. right? We see the four horsemen. Okay. Right? And we see um, a, a bow and we see all, all kinds of things. Yeah. All right? And then um, the la- the seventh seal is open and DNC spends most of it. Sorry. The book of Revelation spends most of its time on the seventh seal. It's like 200 verses compared. Uh, are spent on that compared okay. to uh, to 10s or 20s on the other seals. Most of it is spent on the, on the on the seventh seal. Okay. Right? So but the doctrine that these seals represent mm-hmm. a thousand years? Yeah. Who else besides the Church of Jesus Christ believes in that? And Oh, I think the Jehovah's Witnesses do, I think. Oh, interesting. By Am by I the wrong? way, that's not who you had on your list. No, my list is nobody. Oh, nobody. Oh, really? Wow, zero. Okay, well, I'm probably wrong then. When we are to... What are we to understand by the seven seals with which it was sealed? This is verse seven. That's what it says? Is a thousand years history? Verse seven, DNC 77. We are to understand that the first seal contains the things of the first thousand years and the second of the second thousand years. Okay. And so on until the seventh. Okay. So this is my gotcha moment. Okay. Yeah, I didn't know that. Okay. Can I ask a distracting question? Um, yes, but we have to talk about Skousens. Okay. Oh, okay. Let's yeah. Let's get. Uh, but ask your dis- distracting question. Okay. Well, you you said the first four seals. Each one was one of the horsemen. Yeah. And it made me realize that the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Um, it means apocalypse, meaning revelation, meaning the book of Revelation. Yeah. It doesn't mean the end of the world. Exactly. Okay. Um, okay. So that your distracting question yeah. is going to set us up for this next part of the of the discussion. Which is also Cleon Skousen or something else. Well, let's do the Cleon Skousen version now. Okay. Tell me about Cleon Skousen. Um, he was part. He's part of a proud tradition of Latter Day Saint right wing nutjobs. 
who write books. Um, there are lots of them. Uh, he's one of the he's one of the most important ones, one of the most influential ones. I remember seeing his first thousand years, second thousand years books at my grandmother's house, and they were large and intimidating. And I don't know that I ever opened one. Um, they're currently being reprinted, if I'm not mistaken, by some uh, Latter Day Saint right wing nut job factory. Mm-hmm. Um, he's very influential. Uh, he, you know, he was he was very anti communist. Did, did he also write the Naked Communist? I think that was Cleon Skousen. Interesting. I have a copy of that book. It has a really cool cover. <laughs> I've never read it, but I, I have. The, it's this super cool looking book. Um, yeah. So like, I'm sure he was a John Bircher. Um, and we've talked about. John Birch Society in the past and its connection like um, Ezra Taft Benson and we can put a note to that mm-hmm. to that episode in the show notes. Uh, I don't know. Is there? I mean, well, my point is that I've remember a video. Yeah. Oh, really? Oh, called, him? I know from, they exist, but I've never seen them. A video called Prophecy. Is that him also? Well, let's just Google it. I my main thing about him. And his ilk is that they're just so dang confident that they're right. And confidence uh, leads people to believe what you're saying. And so um, sort of like Bruce R. McConkie and um, his Mormon Doctrine and some other books like that. We're very influential mid-century. Very influential. A mid-century Because ni- they're 1900s. so confident that people believe you. Yeah. They're so confident. And this yeah. is one of the things that I wanted to point out. But how do you spell Skousen? S K O U S E N. I know this because I took a class from Royal Skousen at BYU, um, who was a relative. I'm not. I, I think Cleon was his uncle. I'm not sure. Uh, anyway, he's the one who has done all the really spectacular research on the translation of the Book of Mormon and the different manuscripts. And it was a really good class. It was history of the English language, and I really liked it. And but the one I remember, and maybe it wasn't Skousen, was someone walking around Israel and saying, "Like this is where this oh, is going to happen." I am familiar with those this ones. Is where this I've one seen is a couple of those. I think. That's also Cleon Scouts, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And but I, I think I remember being very, being very taken by it when I was when I was a, I was a in kid. The library at the church. We have a ridiculous Maybe library. Maybe before it got cleaned out two or three times, but yeah, I've tried to preserve a lot of the VHS. The the thing that was interesting about um, these videos and these speculations, yeah. right, is exactly what you said: the confidence and still it's, confident. And it's it's kind of the source of my irritation. Over the you know until recently, um, which was that I just didn't believe what I couldn't believe the kinds of stuff they were speculating because yeah. they were spe- they were very specific, right? So specific, and they would say like, "This is the arch so cocky, that 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 Jesus will walk through, and yeah. walk over to the Mount of Olives and say, yeah. this is where the Mount of Olives will split, this right? This is where the two guys will be killed. These are where the two um, prophets will lie yeah. dead in the street." And I was teaching this. And I was like, man, I, even when I was teaching it recently in mm-hmm. seminary, um, I was like, man, I, I kind of hate this stuff because yeah. it is so distracting, right? Yeah. Because it is so easy to rabbit hole. It is so easy sure. to make it, to make this your personality. Yeah. Right. To make, because, because it's so interesting and because it's so scary. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Specifically the stuff about like the, 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 um, the wars and rumors of wars and the. The, the the two prophets lying dead in the street. Yeah. Right? And it's like, it's scary. Well, and this is, it also, like... Which means it's, it's fascinating. really tightly tied to a lot of what the conservative 
personalities become in the last 80 years? Well, the prepper of, personality. Right, right. I, that's, I mean, that specific branch of conservatism that's, like, afraid of the future. Yeah. Like, it fits in really nicely with all that sort of stuff. Both afraid and excited, right? Right, it's, because you want the world to end. You want the world to end because that means... <laughs> well, Maybe. Yeah. You, you want the world to end yeah. because it means that, um, that Christ is coming. Yeah. Right? This bubble of of speculation and um is exactly what joseph smith was irritated by as yeah. well yeah oh my gosh you're right okay yeah it's exactly what he yeah, yeah. and that's why he got the book of revelation i'm sorry that's the why he got the dnc 77, 77 yeah, yeah, yeah. is to answer some of these questions <clears throat> because however confused and, and we are among, in mormonism about the book of revelation the christian world is even more confused sure Listen to this again okay. from, right. from Wikipedia. I'll, I'll listen. <laughs> okay. This is on the main um, interpretations section of the book of, of Revelation, right? The main interpretations? Yeah. Sorry. The, the subsection interpretations. Oh, okay. Gotcha. On the book of Revelation, right? I'm going to skip just to the um, part where, yeah, here it is. This is the eschatological subsection. Okay. That's all. Right. all yeah, that's, Another, that's, I think I finally... Can I guess what that word means? All right, hit it. I've looked that word up probably a hundred times, and for some reason it just never sticks with me, but I think yeah. it's finally stuck. Eschatological means having to do with the end of the world. This Google says it's to do with death, judgment, and the final destiny of the soul of all mankind. All right, close enough. You're pretty close. I'm pretty close. Yeah. I'm never going to learn this word. <laughs> there are a few words that just will not stick in my head, and that's one of them. Most Christian interpretations fall into one or more of the following categories. Okay. Historicism, which sees in Revelation a broad view of history. Okay. Right? Is that like, that's that's the Quigon Skousen view? Would we no, say no, that he no. fits in there? No, no. We, oh, no. Okay. They see in Revelation a broad view of history. So it's okay? only the past. Um, ye, let's take a look. Um, so the historical, the historic, the historicist views of the seven seals in the apocalypse, for example, okay, um, span the time period from John of Patmos to early Christendom. So, very yeah, right. Yeah. So specific, and then um, so specifically, so these, so specifically, these um. This one interpretation of it is that it's a it's a, um, a a view of history, stuff that actually happened like around the time of Christ, you know that kind of okay. that kind of era that kind of era. So it's historical, sure. Whether or not it's exactly the time of Christ, or or maybe up to like a few hundred years after, maybe from what I was reading. Okay. Okay. Oh wait wait wait, let me see if I understand this correctly. Are you saying that? During those four hundred years, that was how people usually interpreted it. No, that this or you is the, that that's the time period described by the historicists. The historicists' interpretation of the Book of Revelation is that it covers that four hundred years. Yeah, that that time period. Wait, then why do they call them historicists? Because that would still be the future. So, in other words, the rev the no no no, no these are like like modern historicists. So, like over the last two thousand years. You're yeah. writing a, a book about the book of Revelation, yeah. trying to interpret it, right? Okay. Your interpretation is that John of Patmos yeah. was seeing a vision about this narrow time window. The time just after he wrote it. Just after he wrote it okay. for a few hundred years. Why do they call themselves the historicists if they still think it was a future? 
it they think was, it was a future that's now the past. Yes, exactly. To them, it's, right. the book of Revelation is... Because the, another interpretation, right, yeah. is the futurists. Okay? Which is still in our future is what that means. Oddly enough. No. No. Okay. <laughs> okay? Um, futurism believes... Um, wait, no, wait, you're correct. <laughs> okay. Futurism. I win this round. Yeah, you do. <laughs> believes revelation describes future events, right? Okay. That still have not occurred. Yeah. Modern of believers of this interpretation are often called millennialists. Okay. All right. Okay. Preterism. Millennialists, not millennialists? Yeah, correct. Millennial. Okay. No, you're right. Millennialists. Okay. Yeah, good. Preterism. Pro preterism? Yeah. Okay. Preterism. How do you spell that? P-R-E-T-E-R-I-S-M. Huh. Okay? Mostly refers to the events of the apostolic era, or at the latest, the fall of Jerusalem or the Roman Empire. So it kind of overlaps to me a bit with historicism, right? Okay, yeah. Then there are, there are the ones that we would expect. Okay. Idealists or allegorical. Uh, where it's all just pretty stories that mean Pretty stories. Things. An allegory of the spiritual path or the ongoing struggle between good and evil. All right? Sure. Can I, can I just point out real quick that... Um, yeah. And that's just the, the kind of evangelical Christian. There's also Eastern Orthodox, Seventh-day Adventist. We thought, I thought we decided the Eastern Orthodox rejected it. Um, it's not read during the rites. Okay? Oh, but doesn't mean it's... Doesn't mean it's not... Look at it and have opinions. It rejects attempts to determine before the fact if the events of Revelation are occurring by mapping them onto present day's events. Oh, okay. So they just refuse to. They have my attitude, I guess. <laughs> Take by taking to heart the scriptural warning against those who proclaim he is here prematurely. To make yourself ready um, and morally for the end times, as a thief in the night. So they're they're like anti Marietta Baker sort of interpretations. Uh huh. Um, I don't know what that means. Oh, uh, there's another section of the Doctrine and Covenants where uh, somebody who was a Christian scientist comes to Jesus, and and the and the Revelation says Christian science is wrong, basically. Oh, interesting. And not only is Mary Baker Eddy not a woman, but Jesus has not already come, and he won't come as a woman, so just knock it off. Oh. <laughs> um, so so basically, anybody who's trying to say that this has already occurred is wrong. Okay. There's a problem with that, though. Okay. If no one who ever says it has happened can be right, then the events can never happen because then people who say they <laughs> happened will be right, and that can't happen. That's 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 dumb. Yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> All right. Uh, so what I was going to say a second ago is um, none of these interpretations, including DNC 77, yeah. necessarily precludes the legitimacy of another. Okay. I mean, that's one of the natures of this sort of thing, right? Is it can do more. I mean, we say this about Isaiah all the time, right? It can be about near future and far future and the past. Like a, but can it? Po poetic works. I mean, that's what literature does. It's about more than one thing. We're going to understand that the first seal contains the things of the first thousand years. Sure. But that doesn't mean it doesn't mean other things. If I say, um, uh, what's a good example? Okay, here's a good example. If I say that Napoleon in Animal Farm represents Stalin, that is true. It, he does represent Stalin. However, that does not mean that Napoleon can't mean other things to other people in other times and places. Like, like it's an allegory, yes, and it's very clearly mapped onto the Russian Revolution, but the story has relevancy beyond allegory. It can mean other things. It can do other stuff. All right, fair enough. <laughs> Here's the kind of fun what, what thing that you can do. Um, dear listener, 
If you want to, click on the Wikipedia page that we link to in the show notes on the Seven Seals. And the Seven Seals get their own page? They get their own page. That's nice. Right? And what's really fun about it is that each of the seals, yeah. they what they do is they document exactly what each of these different views think oh, they yeah, represent. Yeah, yeah. All right? So the first seal, the opening of the, the returned Christ opening the seventh seal has its consequences. The first four seals result in the four horsemen. Yeah. Right? So the preterist view identified the first horseman as Antibarnus, king of the Parthians who slaughtered the Jews in Babylon. Right? Mm-hmm. However, another fellow, uh, Ernest Renan, uh, interpreted the first horseman to be symbolic of the Roman Empire, with Nero as the Antichrist. Right? Okay. So these are all kind of like guesses as to what's going on. It's confusing. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. The historicist view agreed that the first seal opened the de- um, uh, was the death of Christ. Hmm. Okay? Um, although that's not universally assumed. The futurist view represents the Antichrist who will head the revived Roman Empire at the end of history. The idealist view, the writer is a symbol of the progress of the gospel of the conquering Christ mentioned in Revelation. Here's the fun bit. And this is why this would be a fun thing to do if you're a listener of our show and open up this article. Each of those four views took up the combined, take up the same amount of text as... The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day oh, really? Saints view. All right. The period involved is from 4000 BC to 3000 BC. It extends from after the fall of Adam, which, according to the Usher chronology, so hold that for a second. Okay, I will. Was from 4004 BC to shortly after the translation of Enoch and his city in 3017 BC. The white horse is an emblem of victory. The bow is an emblem of war. And the crown is the emblem of a conqueror. Enoch is understood to be a kind of general who led the gods to war and went forth conquering to conquer. Right? The conqueror went forth conquering to conquer. That's good writing. (laughs) Uh, Went forth conquering and to conquer. Um, Precious little is known about um, Enoch and his city, but a few verses later it stated that the Lord called his people Zion because, and this is is now quoting... um, the Pearl of Great Price, uh, Moses chapter 7. The Lord called his people Zion because they were of one heart and one mind and dwelt in righteousness, and there was no poor among them. Um, so, yeah, I mean, interestingly, where did all of this information about this interpretation of the first in seal words, come from? What are the notes uh, in Wikipedia? Yeah, well, you already mentioned it. Is it the first thousand years? No, nah, it isn't. Oh, good. Um, Doctrinal New Testament Commentary, Volume 3. By, uh, is that Joseph Philly McConkie wrote that? Nope, but you got the right name. Uh, that's Bruce R. Is, that's Bruce R.? Okay. Yep. Bruce R. McConkie wrote that, uh, wrote a lot about this. And why do I know this? Because the seminary manual referred me to... Um, the New Testament student manual. Oh, okay. Okay. Which has way more detail. Uh-huh. Okay. About this. And sure enough, it goes through each seal and it says that the white horse is equal to victory, the bow is equal to warfare, the crown is equal mm. to conqueror. And this and then it comments on and it quotes Bruce R. McConkie. 
This McConkey's is all the way down. Yep, it's McConkie's all the all the way down. The most transcendent happenings referred to in these verses include Enoch and his ministry. And it is interesting to note note that when John what John saw was not the establishment of of Zion and its removal to heavenly spheres, but the unparalleled wars in which Enoch went through. Right, that's quoting a bit. Mm-hmm. Right again, I'm not making any value statements here. We've made value statements about Bruce R. McConkie before. Yeah. <laughs> right, I'm not making those right now. Yeah, I'm just noting that it is interesting that when you start peeling back the layers, right, of what mm-hmm. sources you find. And who actually is saying what? What did Joseph Smith say about it? Nothing. Right? He said that um, these are periods of first thousand years, second thousand years, third thousand years, fourth thousand years. It's once again one guy's opinion. All right. I feel Uh, like maybe the Wikipedia article should be rewritten as with McConkie's name, not just in the notes, but in the the text of the article. In the actual text, right? Um, And um, there's another part when we look at the actual four horsemen that really kind of drives this home um so i guess the four horsemen is like plague or pestilence famine etc like that's, that's not out of well scripture precisely that's it, it, interpretation i don't know that it's not though because when you mm-hmm. when you read it it does talk about um when you actually read the book of revelation there are some flavor texts that go with each horseman mm. right it's not a so far of a jump yeah okay right um good omens of course has the best four horsemen interpretation that i've ever seen mm-hmm. uh in both the book and in the uh, tv show um okay this is on the second seal who rode the red horse this is quoting from bruce r mcconkie again this is linked to in the new testament student manual and uh, from is, the lds church but according to wikipedia this is it our LDS perspective. Yeah. Well, okay. The member, let's keep our sources straight. Right now I'm quoting from the from Bruce R. McConkie. Oh, now you're directly from, quoting from him. From the New Testament student manual. So you're no longer looking at Wikipedia. You're looking at, at this. the doctrinal commentary yeah. book. Who rode the red horse? The red horse of war and bloodshed and, a, and sword during the second seal. That's right. One of them's war. Yeah, that's right. This is war. Mm-hmm. Perhaps it was the devil himself. For surely that was a great day of his power, a day of such gross wickedness that every living soul, save eight only, was found worthy of death by drowning. So referring to the flood of Noah. Mm-hmm. And what do you think the most interesting word in that sentence to me was? Perhaps. Oh, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. Right? <laughs> um. So you don't have to start peeling the layer too deep, the onion too deep, yeah. before you hit the shaky ground of speculation. Yeah, yeah, it's all opinion. When I was a teenager, I wanted to write books like this uh, and like express my opinions. Uh, I don't desire to do that anymore. Yeah. And I think part of the reason, I, it wasn't a super conscious decision, um, but I think part of it is just recognizing that no matter how expert I get, it's just my opinion. And... It's a little risky to tell people that your opinion is authoritative. As soon as it's in print, people think it's more true than somebody else's. Yeah. Like those those early opinions you wrote for the first seal from the various um, groups of speculators. Yeah. Um, any one of them could be right, right? Mm-hmm. Like like that might be true, but it's sort of like we talk about in our next episode, <laughs> <laughs> um, pre-recorded uh, that. Sometimes you get revelations and they're not for the whole world. Yeah. Like it's a useful, it's useful information for you, 
but it's not necessarily something that you need to tell everyone about and tell them it's authoritative. Um, I find this stuff really fun. I didn't used to. This used to really irritate me. But I yeah. have to say the um, and it used to irritate me because of this connection to these uh, uh, this this bad attitude. I think of being afraid of the future and of yeah. what what it is to come. Right. But I have to say, um, teaching seminary yeah. has really helped me in many ways, and I think this is one of them. Because it kind of re-legitimized for me the, the book of Revelation. When it is studied in the context of what Joseph Smith actually said and got by yeah. Revelation, right? And when, we, when you start pushing too much, you start immediately hitting speculation. Yeah. And that speculation is interesting and it's kind of fun, right? But, then you, you, but it is a slippery s- slope, mm-hmm. right? But it's um, packaged as theology instead of as science fiction. Right. Yeah. And the science fiction is really fun. Look, listen, yeah. if you haven't watched Good Omens, right? It's on Amazon Prime. If you have an Amazon you Prime the sub. Season? Yeah. And it's also. Is it? I haven't seen it. It's season. also great. Mm-hmm. So um, I highly, highly recommend it. Mm-hmm. And um, because it re- thoroughly deconstructs the apocalyptic narrative in yeah. terms of what it's kind of done to um the people who believe who who believe who take the belief in the apocalypse noticing i'm notice yeah. i'm not stating whether or not the apocalypse is a future event yeah but take the belief in the apocalypse and make that affect policy yeah it's it it worries me that people who are most convinced the world will end yeah. terribly are also the people who most look forward to it yeah and are the most willing to um just allow authority to convince them it's inevitable and i, I don't know that that's healthy well here was my charge to you yeah as we um the one bit of prep that i wanted you to to think about yeah, yeah. was um transhumanism in other words yeah, yeah. what i wanted you what i want to talk about is the um some of the some of these prophecies as presented in like the seminary manual right are presented as this is what's going to happen yeah right there's going to be a war in jerusalem that war will take four years there will be two prophets of the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints right that will be killed and lie in the street for three days three and a half days right and our and our and our enemies will rejoice well and our enemies will rejoice right right? so this is presented as future fact Mm -hmm. okay and the problem with it is that it's so terrifying. In fact, I asked my seminary students about this. Mm-hmm. Let's, I asked them, assume for a moment that the things that we just read about are literal fact. Yeah. How does that make you feel? Right? Yeah. Their response was fear. Yeah. Okay. And then I said, now assume that it's metaphorical. Yeah. How does that make you feel? And the one response I got that was so interesting, confusion. Because mm. if this is an allegory what is, how could what <laughs> okay so i don't know that was my my answer yeah. to them i just don't know all i can tell you is that there are these these prophecies and that um they're interesting and they don't affect our day-to-day lives yeah. right and they can be interpreted wrongly and now as i've told you Joseph Smith was very frustrated by over-speculating yeah. on this stuff. So, what's an alternative view? Well, let me preface 
this alternative view by saying that it is prone to the exact same sort of failures of imagination that we're talking about, of turning everything literal and specific and, um, and thinking they know exactly what's going to happen. So I would caution against that. And now let's talk about it. So um, transhumanism in general is the idea that um, the fate of humanity is to eventually leave behind uh, the stuff that we think of as being mortal, like bodies that break down and decompose while we're still living in them, uh, that our minds will escape to the ether, um, some future version of the World Wide Web, uh, perhaps we will merge with artificial intelligence. Anyway, to what it means to be human will cease to be what it is now. Mm -hmm. That we will um, move into some higher order, which looks something like computers, but is better. Mm -hmm. That's that's the basic idea of transhumanism. So Mormon transhumanism, I believe the website of an official group of believers in this idea is mormontranshumanist.org, but we will double check that and put it in the show notes. Um, they feel that transhumanist ideas are a clear... They track clearly onto um, Mormon cosmology and, and millennialism and so forth. That this is how we become like God, is to uh, transhumanate, to uh, leave our these bodies behind and like everything, resurrection and uh, translation and the millennium and heaven and the social kingdom and eternal increase and all those things are. Um, not something that one day God destroys the earth and then says it's time for those things, but something that we earn little by little by accepting bits of knowledge from God here and there and slowly uh, technologize ourselves into God, that some future generation will be like God, not because um, there was some magic resurrection that happens in a moment, but because of gradual change that is inspired by God and leads us to become like God. So the reason why I wanted to bring this up is yeah. because that last bit on gradual change is the part that when we've talked about this in the past, yeah. that most excited me. Yeah, and it's the, like, I I don't think that we're gonna merge with ChatGPT and that will make us like God. Like, that seems overly simplistic to me and wrong, but I, I think that there's a lot to this. Like, I, it makes a lot more sense to me um, then the world will get destroyed. And anyway, but what, what, what about it excited you? Well, I just think it, to me, it's that I don't understand apocalyptic events. Yeah. Right. The idea that, um, a big war will happen and these main, these powerful, interesting, confusing things will happen. Yeah. It, I don't understand them. Right. I think it's, um, fascinating, but I don't understand them. Yeah. And I think they're more fascinating now than I used to. <laughs> Um, and I'm sure that will fade as I go back to teaching the Book of Mormon next year. <laughs> and it's, it'll be time to leave these things behind. Yeah. But um, what I do see in reality is a gradual improvement, right? Yeah. And um, one of the problems, of course, with the way news is done in the, in the world is that it gives you lots of bad news, right? Right. But if you go looking, um, and we've talked about how this before... Um, there's a world happiness report that you can look at, for example, and it talks about things like how do you measure happiness? What are some of the metrics? Mm -hmm. um, you know, if you look at literacy, it's going up. If you look at poverty, it's going down. If you look at crime, it's going down. But you have to look at worldwide averages. Right. You can't look at just, you can't just look at spikes, statistics. Mm -hmm. Anecdotes. Anecdotes. You can't look at like a brief 
four-year term, a brief two-year term. You can't yeah. you can't look at stuff like that. You have to you have to average things over over generations. Yeah, yeah. You have to look at the world as a whole and not just include the Western United States. Right. But and you know look at what's happening if you take an average of um of India and China and Europe and Russia all these things together in Africa, yeah. they all add up to a trend right. that is gradual, mm-hmm. right, towards increased happiness. Yes. Right? As we solve the plastic problem by making new biodegradables, right? Mm-hmm. As we solve the energy crisis by creating more efficient um uh, sunlight conversion systems yeah. as we solve the carbon crisis um, preventing climate change by figuring out ways to sequester carbon either biologically or artificially right or reducing yeah. our carbon emissions through clean energy right as world population growth slows to the mm-hmm. point where the 12 billionth human will never be born yeah. because people generally reproduce less when their needs are satisfied right mm-hmm. and you can to the point where we can create a stable environment for us yeah. right and then what will happen after that i don't know right but that's actually where we're going if you look that's at what it looks like if you look at the funding priorities not just of the united states but of the of the world mm-hmm. on average yeah i believe what you would find is resources being diverted to these causes that will save the planet Right, mm-hmm. that will make it so that we can create a a Gaia for ourselves. Yes. Yeah. Right. Assuming we move quickly. Enough. Assuming we move <laughs> quickly enough, and the right people are in charge. But even when the wrong people are in charge, they're only in charge temporarily. Right. And we can we can um and again, averages gradual yeah. change is what will lead us to somewhere useful. Yeah, I mean, uh, the twentieth century saw two of the most deadly wars in human history yeah and yet the average yeah over the course of that hundred years was life got better yeah people yeah i found the website it's called transfigurism.org oh it's uh, not called mormon transhumanist did they did the, uh, they drop uh in the mormon upper left name also in the upper left it says man mormon transhumanist organist association oh, okay i, just, so I just think that i think this is the probably, same it, thing i'm sure it is yeah right and there's a bunch of fun stuff here um, yeah, I, I actually, we could do a whole episode and, and we could invite one of them on. Um, like, I, like I said, I don't really buy exactly what they're saying because for the same reasons I don't buy exactly what Cleon Skousen is saying. Mm-hmm. But I do think that their ideas are just as worthy of being part of the conversation and yeah. they're worth reading once and, and letting them like see how they pickle your own thoughts. Um, pickle or tickle? I said pickle, but tickle's good too. (laughs) The Immortality Upgrade is an article by Don Chan on The New Yorker that also looks like it treats these things. And I haven't read it yet, just found it as we were were talking. And um, I don't know, it's a New Yorker article. It's a... Yeah. It's a thing about transhumanism and Mormonism, so it's probably worth a read. Oh, on in the New Yorker. Yeah. I'm gonna, uh, yeah, I'm excited to find that in the show notes. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so what are our conclusions of today's show? Um, don't be overconfident. Yeah. Uh, don't be over scared. Yeah. Don't be over scared. Again, I just want to say it again. Mm-hmm. The book of revelation is the word of God. 
Okay? Yeah. Because to me, that is a an astonishing fact. It is something that I really didn't think was true. Yeah. <laughs> okay? I really I really didn't. Like, it's I... It's surrealist face. Right? It really... I mean, people, people say, oh, we're going to do the Rev- Book of Revelation again, or... You know, it's like, this doesn't make any sense. How could we possibly do Were anything with this information? Last week? Yeah. That's basically what happened. It was kind of the attitude. And so yeah. we oftentimes skip it. And that's okay. Because yeah. there are more important <clears throat> stuff, right? Let's, we have, let's be Eastern we have, Orthodox. We have seasons of... Yeah. <laughs> we have seasons... Yeah, especially... Especially because it's like our only Sunday school lesson in December and we want to talk about yeah. Christmas. Right? <laughs> so, and that's totally fine. Yeah. There, we, we've done years of shows without covering it. It yeah. ourselves right you don't have to spend any time on it right but it's there yeah. right and um and it's ratified by joseph smith mm-hmm. in the book of 77 in, in dnc 77 yeah right it connects john of patmos to the john the beloved saint oh. saint john maybe it maybe it maybe it implies that maybe it doesn't directly connect it yeah it's um i I'm, there's not there's the other section in DNC, which I think is near 77, but the one about the Apocrypha. And Joseph Smith was trying to decide whether to translate the Apocrypha like he had the rest of the Bible and see our translation episode for what translate might mean. And God was like, eh, it's not worth it. I mean, there's good <laughs> stuff there if you want to spend time on it, but it's, it's, you don't need to mess with it. And um, I kind of have that attitude about a lot of things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. And if this is all you ever do with the book of Revelation and is listen to the show and go, huh, and maybe read that Wikipedia article and go, huh, well, yeah. that's, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> all right. We're a proud member of the Dialogue Podcasting Network. Indeed we are. Yeah. Lots of great shows. Lots of great shows. Um, we'd like to thank um, our writer of our music, mm-hmm. um, Daniel Foster Smith. And um, okay. find us on Discord. There's a YouTube channel. There is. And, uh, Apple yeah. Music, Spotify. Spotify, yep. We're around. We're around. We're still on Twitter. We are, yes. I mean, the, the, it's not super, super active. But if you um, if you say something to the feed, one of us will eventually notice. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Bye. Bye. Bye.